Thank you, worship team, for leading us in a powerful time. I was moved to tears this morning just thinking about the the truths we're singing about here from, from Romans chapter 8. Just thinking about this broken world that we live in. As many of you know, last Sunday, a 26-year-old walked into a small Baptist church about 30 miles east of San Antonio with an assault rifle and just opened up on a small congregation of 50 people. (laughs) 26 people were killed and 20 others were injured physically and, and many more emotionally scarred by this one of the deadliest mass shootings by an individual in Texas. And this happened just weeks after a shooter in Las Vegas opened up on a crowd of people and shot and killed, what was it, 50 people. And then we had these hurricanes, Hurricane Harvey, which claimed about 82 people killed as a result Irma, Hurricane Irma, 134 people died from that storm. Not to mention all the earthquakes that we've seen in 2017. In Mexico, September 19th, there were 390 people killed from an earthquake. On September 7th, there were 98 people that died in, in Mexico. In Italy, January 18th, there were 34 people who died from an earthquake. In China, on August 8th, there were 25 people who died. This world is not what it's supposed to be. This world is broken. And we live in a broken world where we ourselves have been broken and affected by the corruption of our sin. We've, mankind rebelled against God. God made everything good. He made everything good. And we rebelled against His good design and His good plans. We rebelled against God and we thought we can do it ourselves. Adam and Eve did it. And you and I have all contributed contributed to that corruption that sin has brought into this world because we too are guilty. We're not only born into sin, but we have chosen and committed sins of our own choice as well. And we've added to the corruption and the brokenness of this world and it's messed up. And praise God that God doesn't leave it like this. Amen. Praise God that there is hope that, that though there are hurricanes... That will take lives. Though there are people who will bring an assault rifle into a church and take lives. Though there are tornadoes. We have a family here who was affected by the tornado that hit Garland and was displaced for a year. Though there are miscarriages. Though there are disabilities. Though there are disappointments and cancer and terrible things that happen in this life. It's not supposed to be like this, and it's not going to be like this forever. We have a hope. We have a destiny. 
And while we live in this broken world, a world of suffering, a world of pain, a world of trouble, we can have joy and we can have hope and we can persevere because we have a bright future ahead of us. Amen. So it's my aim this morning to try to unpack the glorious hope that we have, the glorious future that you and I have as Christians and also give some framework for this suffering that we now live in. How do we make sense of all this? Because when you're surrounded by the brokenness and you're surrounded by the sorrow and your soul is overwhelmed and troubled and sorrowful, uh, feeling like Jesus where he said, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. When, when your soul feels crushed by the brokenness of this world, you and I can still have hope. Amen? Amen. And so we are destined for glory. Romans chapter 8. He doesn't just gloss over the reality of the brokenness of this world. He hits on it. He expounds on it. But he does so in light of the glory that's going to be revealed to you and I. And so if you would stand as we open up the scripture and read from Romans 8, 18 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the big idea this morning. Christians have a glorious and certain future. Though there is suffering on their way to glory. Christians have a glorious and certain future. Future, though there is suffering on their way to glory. 
And so let's look at starting in verse 17. Let's pick back up from where we finished off last week. I, I tried to explain last week how the Holy Spirit helps us in this life as Christians. Okay, he helps us. I looked at five different ways from Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit helps us. And in verse 17, this last part here, uh, it says, if we are then if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we looked at last week how the Holy Spirit not only tells us that we're sons and daughters of God, he affirms with our spirit. He confirms we are children of God and We have an inheritance because we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to see who we are, whose we are. We cry out, Abba, Father, and what we have in Christ Jesus. A great inheritance. A great inheritance. The Holy Spirit was the one who inspired the biblical writers to write the things that they wrote, unpacking our glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays a prayer that the church would have their eyes open to be able to see what that inheritance is. And so, notice this little phrase connected uh, with that inheritance. While we are destined for glory, notice this little phrase, provided we suffer with him. How many of you would like to scratch that out? (laughs) Just stop it there. It airs with Christ, Paul. Provided that we suffer with him. Okay, and you go on to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We're destined for glory, but there is suffering on the journey, on the way. You can expect it, saints, and I want to help prepare you for it. I don't want you to be naive and thinking that this life is just going to be smooth and roses and no suffering, no sickness, no, no terrible things happen in this life. Because the reality is this world is broken and things will happen even to godly Christians who love God and love their families and love their neighbors and love their co-workers. They still get killed. They still get cancer. They still get persecuted. They still go through sufferings in this life. Not only for following Jesus. Okay, we can suffer and be persecuted for righteousness sake. But just because we are in a broken world. With broken people. And praise God, it's not going to stay like this forever. Provided that we suffer with him, there are sufferings that we experience in this life. Nobody wants to suffer. Everybody wants the glory, but nobody wants the suffering. Everybody wants the resurrection, but nobody wants the cross. If we're going to follow Jesus, it involves taking up our cross and suffering with him. And we will suffer in this life. But know this, this suffering will not last for eternity for us. It will last for eternity. It will get much more intense for those who reject God and rebel against God. We call that hell. The Bible calls that hell eternal suffering. And God wants to alleviate that for us. We will not suffer eternally 
Because Christ delivers us from that condemnation that we deserve. He delivers us from hell. Our destiny is glory. And the glory that's going to be revealed to us and in us can't even, is not worth being, the, the sufferings aren't even worth being compared to that glory. It's like, it's like comparing me. I like to play basketball. It's like comparing me with Michael Jordan. <laughs> Go put me up one-on-one with Michael Jordan. I, it, there's not, it's not even worth comparing. How's he going to do? Is he going to score any points? You think Jordan will dunk on him? You will see Pastor Keith get crushed in a game of one-on-one if I played with Michael Jordan. It's not even worth comparing, right? The, the sufferings in this life, they're so small and they're not worth comparing. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 17. He said, for this light and momentary affliction, this is what he calls it, a light and momentary affliction. I'm beaten up and stoned and thrown in jail, lashed. Just this light and momentary affliction, no big deal. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I know your suffering may not feel like light and momentary affliction when you're going through it. But if you get the big picture, and when you get to the other side of glory and you see Jesus, you will agree with Paul. Yeah, it was light, momentary affliction. It's not worth compared to this glory that we now experience, right? Uh, There's a whole bunch of verses on suffering. I just want to help you. You can write, take these and put them on your refrigerator. Nope. These are not, these are not Bible verses you'll find on a coffee mug or on your refrigerator. But these are realities and some of these are actually promises you can expect. Uh, Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He said, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. That in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But be, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Uh, Acts fourteen twenty two. Paul and Barnabas are going around preaching and encouraging disciples. Here's an encouraging word for the disciples. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas has the share. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, saying, "Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God." Well, thanks for the encouragement, Paul. Just, just. Tell me the good stuff, right? That, see, we live in a day where folks have itchy ears and they don't want to hear about the hard stuff of Christianity. They don't want to hear about the cross. They don't want to hear about the struggle. They don't want to hear about self-denial. And so this is a part of it. And lastly, 2 Timothy 3, 12. And there's, there's many other scriptures. Read, read, study the book of 1 Peter if you want to go deeper in this uh, truth of suffering as Christians. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think that's most of us here, right? All of you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Okay, so you can expect that at some level. There's sufferings, there's persecution, there's, there's tribulation. That is this life that we're in. That is a part of the journey. That is a part of the narrow and difficult way that leads to life. It's marked with suffering. It's marked with tribulation. It's marked with persecution. It's the way that Jesus chose to walk. And it's the way that he calls us to walk. And you can try to avoid it. You can try to put makeup on your body and color your hair and do things that you do to your body to pretty yourself up. But your body is going to decay and one day pass away and die, right? 
You can try to protect your family and move to a small town outside of the big city and go to a small church where you think everything's going all right. And then some crazy shooter comes in and shoots up the place. You can try to save your life and preserve your life here. You'll lose it. But Jesus says, if you give it up for me, you'll find true life. We're destined for glory, though that that through our journey, though our journey is marked by suffering. Verse 20, verse 19 through 22, creation waits and groans. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. So creation is waiting. Not just we're waiting, but creation is waiting. Paul personifies creation in saying that it waits, it longs, it groans. Creation is like, there's something wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be. And they're waiting. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the freedom of the glory of the children of God to be manifested. They're waiting to see you, saints. Creation is waiting to see you in your glorious state. The treats are waiting to clap their hands and say, Bridger, you look like Jesus. Creation is longing and waiting for the fullness of redemption and adoption of us. As sons and daughters of God, the stars are waiting, the moon and the suns waiting for your glory, the glory that God has to be revealed to and through you to be manifested. We are destined for glory. Notice this phrase here at the bottom of verse uh, 22. Creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth. Ouch, Amanda says. This echoes the words of Jesus in Mark 13 as Jesus is talking about the last days in the context of the end coming. He says there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. We got some pregnant ladies in here. Probably more than you know. More ladies than you know are pregnant in this place, right? My wife and I have had three children, and my wife knows from experience the pains of childbirth. We took classes on, I think I know, but not through experience. We took classes to be prepared for the pains of childbirth and getting that little precious child out safely and mom safely, right? We took classes so that we can overcome any fears, any ignorance, so that we can be equipped and ready, and so that I can be the best coach and cheerleader for my wife, so that she can bring forth that child, healthy baby, right? Well, baby number one, Carson, smooth, great, 
Baby number two, Karis. God bless you, sweetie. Karis, smooth until <laughs> it's time to come out, Karis. She wouldn't turn, right? And so I was a little overconfident, second baby. Second baby, I was a little less prayed up. And I was like, we got this. We know what to do. I'm taking breaks. The midwife is like, hey, you want to go to Chili's and grab something? Sure, I'll go grab something real quick. Go grab something to eat. Come back. My, my, my wife says my breath stink. Like, you know, pregnant ladies have some sensitivities that increase when they're pregnant and especially uh, when they're delivering, right? And so, uh, or many of them. And uh, note, note to husbands, <laughs> don't take a break when your wife's in labor to go get some food. She probably won't eat what you bring back anyways. You probably need some snack bars. Also, another note, maybe pack like a traveling bag with some toothpaste and toothbrush and mouthwash. All right. <laughs> David, take note, right? Be ready. But one of the phrases that I use to help encur- try to encourage my wife with, see, some, some, sometimes you can't say anything that seems encouraging at all. It's like, Hush, just sit here, pray, push, whatever. One, one of the things was, is, is this phrase, purposeful pain. And it helped me. I, I think it helped her, too, when she's having contractions. <laughs> Sweetie, these, these contractions are purposeful. This is purposeful pain. I know this hurts right now, sweetie, but baby's getting closer and closer through the contractions, through the pain. It doesn't feel good right now, but there's purpose in it. And we're going to meet baby Carson. Baby Karis, baby Abigail, baby number four. We're going to meet that child. And this pain is purposeful. This is a part of the process. We're in this together. I'm sorry, sweetie. I just announced we're having a child, number four. Sorry about that. I didn't plan that. But this idea of pains of childbirth, you women who've had children know that from experience and you know that once you get past those pains there is this incredible joy that will come when you see that precious little human being made in the image of god and that looks like you and dad right mom and dad right there is joy at the end of that all right and so you endure through that and you keep your eyes set on that that this pain isn't going to last forever though it feels like it it's not going to last forever. We're going to get through this. There's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Keep your eyes on where we're going with this. And in this life and in these last days, there will be these birth pains, pains of childbirth. Creation is groaning. There's earthquakes. There's tornadoes. There's hurricanes. There, there's crazy stuff happening in the world. And they're described as these birth pains. Don't let it shake you. Be excited that something glorious is coming. We're going to see the face of Jesus. And we're going to be changed when we see his face. Amen? So creation waits and groans. We also wait and groan. Verse 23 says in creation, not only creation but we ourselves have the first fruit who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons so creation groans we groan there's 
this groaning within us. Uh, verse 26 and 27, this goes along with what we were talking about last week. We have help on the way to glory, the Holy Spirit. I love how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in our salvation. The Father planned it, the Son purchased it, and the Spirit preserves it. And He intercedes for us. He helps us in our weaknesses. You see, we have this direct access to God, and in our suffering and in our difficult times, we can walkie-talkie to our Abba Father. Father, we need some help. We can call in in prayer. We can ask for strength. We can ask for help. But then there are times where we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And we're weak in prayer. We know we should pray. We know we should pray more. We know we should pray fervently and pray faithfully and pray biblically according to the will of God. But there's times when we're just lost for words and lost for strength and lost for desire and will and passion. And, and, and we feel like we don't have it in us to pray as we ought to. Right. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us. He, he intercedes for us. He makes intercession for us. He helps make our weak prayers effective. And he helps us pray according to the will of God. This is a pretty profound concept. God the Holy Spirit talking to God the Father. Intercession. We're in the second half, in latter half of Romans 8, we see Jesus is interceding for us as well. We've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're talking about you and I, the church. Isn't that great? That is great. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays for not only those who uh, the Father had given him in this world and his life here, but he prayed for those who would believe. Anybody else believe in here? You, you believe? Okay, he, he prayed for you. Jesus intercedes for you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you and I. He helps us in our weakness. He carries us when we can't go on ourselves. As I mentioned last week, the, 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 the poem of the footprints in the sand where there's, there's two sets of footprints and then there's one and, 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 and the child, the saint looks back and he says, well, what happened? Why, why is there, and this, when, 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 when it got the hardest in life, why is there only, why is there only one set of footprints there? And, and the answer was, because whenever you were in those times, I carried you when you couldn't carry yourself, right? And so we have help from the Holy Spirit. In our suffering. And we have this hope as an anchor to our souls. We have this hope that is this, uh, as an anchor to our souls. And, and notice what this hope is in verse 23. The hope that we have, what we look forward to, what we long forward to. The last part of 23. It's the redemption of our bodies. That's, that's a part of the glory now, some of us might look forward to that more than others, right? Hair falling out, leg joints going bad, uh, just stuff falling apart in your body. You, you wake up in the morning to see what damage is done. You look in the mirror, you're like, man, I'm falling apart. Let's, let's clean this. Let's, let's put some paint on this old barn, right? And so we look to see what damage is done, right? 
We, we groan, our bodies ache. And we know that it's not going to be like this forever. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to get new bodies with, a, I'm going to get a full set of hair. I'm going to get that back. Uh, one of the Bailey boys and one of my, my kids, they, they asked, why do you shave the, the middle part right up here? Like, I don't shave that. <laughs> I joke around with the barbers when I go to get my hair cut. I said, you took too much of off up here. We're going to have these glorified bodies that don't decay, that don't rot, that don't get old. That's awesome. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. That's 1 Corinthians 15, our resurrected bodies, physical bodies, new bodies to live in forever. Bodies that won't fall apart. Bodies that don't get cancer or diabetes. You can eat food and not have too many calories and gain too much weight. I don't know that that's true, but... <laughs> Verse 24, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This hope that we have is the redemption of our bodies. We're going to see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and he is going to resurrect us. And we have to set our hope on this day Amen. as we were singing about today. Through the sufferings of this life, through the chaos, through the darkness of this broken world that we're in and that we're going to walk in in the days to come. We need to be anchored with this hope. Our souls need to be anchored to the storms of this life because the storms are going to come. The winds are going to come. The waves are going to crash upon our lives. Things are going to come in unexpectedly, unwelcomed. And we need this hope to anchor our souls, to ground us when we're hit unexpectedly by a diagnosis from a doctor, by the death of a loved one, by wars and rumors of wars. Pilots often have to fly through some pretty difficult weather. And they go through clouds. I don't know if you've ever been through in a plane where you go through clouds and you're like looking around and you can't see anything around and you're thinking... How is the pilot navigating through this? Are we going up? Are we going down? What's going on, right? And so, so pilots have these very sophisticated instruments that help them f- navigate the plane and get you and I safely. We just jump on in faith, right? We're just like, I, I trust that the pilot and this plane and the mechanics and everything that, that came together to make this thing go is going to work fine. And I'm going to get a couple hours away to where I'm going safely, right? We just, just trust it. But there's, there's so much that goes into this, including a pilot who helps navigate um, uh, uh, these planes. But uh, there's, there's something called a, uh, an artificial horizon that pilots use. And so there's a couple things. They use radio receivers. They use GPS receivers, interior guidance so here, here's, here's a little something I pulled up from the Internet. So as far as, as far as knowing which end is up and which, is, which end is down, this would be handled by the flight instruments rather than navigation and radio equipment. An artificial horizon or an eight ball is the main instrument for this job and is supported by airspeed, altitude, vertical velocity, directional gyro, gyro instruments. Um, and so this is that artificial horizon, Okay. So like, are you going up? Are you going down? And so there's this, this horizon that the, the pilots can look at to kind of get a sense of, are we tilted? Are we going up? Are we going down? 
when they're surrounded by clouds. You and I, saints, have a horizon, and there's nothing artificial about it. It's a blessed hope. It's Jesus and his return and him him coming back. And he's going to transform us. He's going to change us. We're going to have resurrected bodies. And so in this text, Paul is, is really hitting on this already not yet concept that theologians call the already not yet. So the already of the kingdom has the kingdom has come. The Spirit has been given to us. We have now the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed. We now are children of God. But yet we're still waiting the full adoption. We're still awaiting the redemption. We have been redeemed. But we're still waiting for the fullness of our salvation to be manifested when Jesus returns. Now, those preachers and who get off and, and they, they overemphasize the, the already, uh, some of the error there is the prosperity gospel, health and wealth. And there's an overemphasis on the already and it's overrealized eschatology. It's, it's, it's neglecting and minimizing this not yet aspect that we are still waiting with patience for something better. It's not here yet. Now, the kingdom has come. The spirit has come. Redemption has come. Freedom has come. But there is still more that we look for, that we long for, that we pray for, that we point others towards. There's still more to come. This is not our best life now. Okay? The best is yet to come for us Christians. Romans 8.28, if there's one verse that has been my go-to in trouble, in tragedy, in difficult times, it's been Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. When a family loses their house in a tornado, when there's miscarriages, And when there's all kinds of sickness and disappointments and loss of loved ones, this is a verse that comes to my mind. And you know what? There's a time to quote this and a time not to quote this when you're walking with a brother or sister in in their pain. Okay? Don't use Romans 28 like a band-aid to put on a gushing wound when somebody's just bleeding and with pain and hurt. But just mourn with them, be there with them in the spirit of Romans 8.28 and the confidence of Romans 8.28. It's a a Christian. If it's somebody who loves God and is called according to his purpose, we can know that all things will work together for their good, for our good. God is good. And, And that is a truth that you need to cling to in your suffering, in your challenges. God is good. And God is sovereign. God is good. God is sovereign. I don't know how to make sense of this. This hurts. But I know God is good. And God is sovereign. And Romans 8.28 ties those two truths together. And we know that God works all things together for our good. He is sovereignly working. So what does this verse mean? First, let me just mention what it does not mean. It does not mean uh, that all things are good. As I've already said, this world we live in, not all things are good. 
the, the killing of children in the womb, abortion, is not good. Human trafficking children as sex slaves is not good. Racial, systemic racism in our country is not good. Okay, there are plenty of things in this world that are not good. I used to have that, this phrase that I used to say back in the day. It's all good, man. It's not all good. It's not all good. This world is broken and messed up. But God works all things together for our good. And this, this verse does not mean that God works everything, everything together for good for everybody. Okay, notice there's some qualifications. There's some caveats here. For those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, i.e. the Christian, the child of God, the saint, i.e. you, church. He works all things together for your good. Everything in your life is filtered by an all-loving, all-wise, sovereign God who is a good, good Father, and nothing gets by him. Nothing catches him by surprise. He doesn't have to be like, oh, well, Kevin Bailey, man, what's going on with this brother? I need to go back to the drawing board. Plan B now. <laughs> nothing goes wasted. God uses it all, all the painful, the highs and the lows and the joys. He, he uses it to shape us, to make us, to mold us, to bring about our good This is powerful. This will help be an anchor to your soul in the darkest of times. Romans 8, 28. And we see this ultimately manifested. God taking evil and turning it together for good. We see that manifested in the cross of Jesus Christ. While it was sinful and evil and dark and wrong and unjust to murder the sinless Son of God... Yet it was God's predetermined plan, his good plan to have his beloved son crucified and murdered for you and I so that good can come to us for all eternity. Acts 2.23, Acts 4 uh, hits on this, that that Peter says this in a prayer and in his preaching in Acts 2. So God takes the worst of evil and he works it together for our good. Mass shootings, hurricanes, okay, tornadoes, cancer. None of it goes wasted. And so what is this good? Does it mean that we're going to get a new house in this life? Does it mean that we're going to get... Uh, that that we're, our bodies in this life are not going to age. That you won't have wrinkles until you're 80. Does it does it does it mean that we're going to get all that here in this life? That our bank, bank account's going to get bigger? No, it doesn't. I think first of all, what we got to look at verse is 29 is what we're, what he means here. Verse 29, he says, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son." There is good done to you and me god will use it whatever it is the the pain the sorrow the tragedy the disappointments the aches the 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 sickness he'll use it to shape us into the image of jesus like a potter like a silversmith i heard a story about a silversmith who was explaining the process of 
refining silver and gold to a lady. And, and he said, one of the ways that I know that I'm done is when I can look at this piece after I've put it through the fire, put it through the fire, and the impurities have come out of it, and I've put it through the fire. I can look at it, and I can see my reflection. I know I'm done with that piece. God wants to shape you and I into the image of his son, Jesus. And this goes back to God's original plan for humanity. He created us in his image. He wants to shape us to look like him, to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous self-control, to look like Jesus. And when he looks at us, he sees a glorious reflection of himself, of beauty, goodness. That's good. That's God's good work. And none of the painful things we go through has to be wasted. That's what our glorious destiny looks like. Bodies that are redeemed and characters in in our image conformed to Jesus Christ. God has this, this term predestined. He's predetermined for this to happen. Now, I know a lot of folks might or some folks might get a little nervous talking about this big theological word predestination. I personally really like it. I really like it because it's in the Bible. And you know what? It's, it's actually something that should not make you question, God, are you really good? It's something that should convince you that God has determined to do good to you, saints. And he will for all eternity. This is something that should ignite your worship. Because you believe that, that you're not an afterthought You're not an afterthought by God. He thought about you way before your parents even thought about you or conceived you. He had good plans for your life. He chose to set his love on you. I know this is profound and hard for us to grasp because we live in this time and space, in this space called time, right? And God who inhabits eternity can call the shots. He can shoot a three-pointer and call it and say, glass, boom, and it goes in. Nothing but net, boom, it goes in. Daniel. Boom, child of God, salvation. And it happens. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Notice this. This is profound. I know this. I I, I don't expect everybody to get this this one time. This is something to chew on, to sink in, to pray about. You may need to consult some commentaries. You may need to say, God, help me understand this. But Paul seems to be going from eternity past, okay, God predestined us, going to him him calling us. Theologians call this an effectual calling. See, Jesus didn't just die to make it possible for us to be saved. He died to actually save us. Amen. So he predestined. He called those whom he foreknew. He predestined those whom he predestined. He called those whom he called. He justified. That was a couple weeks ago. Romans five. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have been justified, okay? And then he glorified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. This is future tense still for us. Now, in one sense, we've, we've, we're already partakers. We have the Spirit. But we are waiting the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting until we're, we're transformed totally like Jesus. We look like Jesus. This is awesome, glorious truth. So glorious that Paul, in the next verse, says, What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? Let's sing a song. Bust out, <laughs> Bust out in doxology. Even what the enemy means for evil, 
You turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. God has decided to do good to you and he will do good to you. This should fuel your confidence in God's good plan to be accomplished in your life. You should be ignited with confidence. You should be anchored with hope through the fiercest of storms because of these gospel truths that Romans 8 teach us about. And so, in closing there, we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that they will end and that glory awaits us. We can rejoice in our sufferings. We know that God's working in it. It's not going to be wasted. It hurts, but we can rejoice in it. We can be sorrowful, yet rejoicing. We can mourn, yet not mourn as those without hope. And don't assume that your suffering is a result of God's punishment in your life. Don't assume because you're going through really hard times in this life, God must be angry with you. He must be frowning upon you. Don't listen to that lie from the enemy. Because Jesus suffered. Was God displeased with Jesus? I mean, you go through the list of biblical characters. Was he displeased with those guys? I mean, in many of them, God says, man, I'm pleased. Be assured that God is going to finish the good work that he started in your life. Philippians 1.6. And we are confident. Paul says this. And I have this, I share the same confidence because, because of these truths that Paul had for the Philippian church. I have that I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident. Do you have that confidence that, that for you, saints, and for other saints, that God will finish what he started? Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. We are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We are God's poem. We are God's work of art. We are his masterpiece. We are his worksmanship. I believe the, the Greek word is poema. We're, we're God's work. And he's committed to finishing his beautiful artistry in our lives tapestry in our lives and he's going to weave in every bit of it all the colors all the pains all the experiences none of it will go wasted and it'll all come together in the end and it'll be a glorious masterpiece that reflects the glory of jesus christ amen and so let's sing let's worship our sovereign god our good good father who is so for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so, Lord, I pray that, God, you would set a fire in our souls as we ponder these truths. 
that we would be convinced of your goodness, convinced of your sovereignty, convinced that your sovereign plan will come to pass. That it won't stay like this. That glory is waiting, that we are destined for glory. You will be glorified and we will experience good for eternity. strength within the sorrow There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in our moments